in the Iron Hour, uh, we're going through the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts. So yeah, this is a plug for Iron Hour for you guys, if you've, uh, men, if you've not heard of it. We meet uh, Wednesday morning at 6.30, get, to go, get earlier there. We fellowship and then we have breakfast and we discuss something in the Bible. So Scott, uh, thank, Scott, thank you, by the way. Scott's taking us through Acts. And uh, this week we had a story which is actually uh, filled out several times in the book of Acts. One of the things you hear in the book of Acts is that these brand new Christians, they had just seen Jesus crucified, so I'm dead. And then they see him alive again. And uh, it, there's no way you can uh, um, put a, a veil over that excitement and that courage. I've never seen anybody come to life, but they did. And uh, you couldn't take that away from them. But what they consistently did was whenever there's a little bit of trouble, they all got together and prayed. So listen to this story. In Acts 3, they, um, they, Peter and John, they healed a lame man at the temple. And then the, uh, in Acts 4, they get dragged before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, uh, they're a little nervous. They don't want to, they can't really beat the people, the, uh, the two disciples, uh, which is what they wanted to do because the people in Jerusalem were praising God because this lame guy still standing, he's standing there right there and they can't hide it. And so what they do is they give them a stern warning about not to preach in the name of Jesus. Okay, so this is the beginning of what we're going to look at in Philippians. You see, the Roman government never rebelled against the cultural issues of the day. You never hear them rebelling, arguing, complaining, uh, protesting against euthanasia, infanticide, abortion, homosexuality, pluralism, none of that. Worship of many gods. That's what the Roman government was, was not only funding but supporting. Never said a word about that. In fact, if you go to the second generation Christians, the apostolic fathers, they didn't either. It wasn't their business. What they did was they wanted to proclaim Jesus. That's what they wanted to proclaim. Um, and so it's interesting that that's where their heartbeat was. So I want you to listen to this. They just got released by the Sanhedrin. On their release, this is uh, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. This is a common theme you're going to hear um, if you read Acts, and then Iron Hour will hear it as well. They raised their voices in prayer to God's sovereign Lord. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Psalm 2 is one of my favorite psalms. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Think about that. Why? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. Against the Lord and against his anointed one. The, rest, the psalm goes on and said, Jesus laughs at them. He laughs at our stupidity. We think we have it figured out. Our, all of our politicians are the same. Don't get me wrong. Okay, you want to know my, I'm going to tell you what my political persuasion is. They have never done that in nine and a half years. Okay, I am not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a libertarian. I'm not an independent. I'm a citizen of heaven. Just being honest with you. I personally do not care who is in office as long as it's the opposite party of who's in Congress. <laughs> that way they argue so much they leave me alone. And I get to do what God wants me to do. 
okay? I'm just being honest with you. Here, he laughs at what is going on. Our, our pundits, our wise people telling us this is the answer to every policy. This is the answer to all of our problems. And uh, you know what? You know what my favorite, about, um, my favorite president's going to be? The one that gets up there, just being honest with you, uh, at the State of the Union speech and says, you know what? This country is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't have a clue what to do about it. They're going to have my vote. They don't ever say that. Ah, we got problems, but we got it all figured out. The Lord laughs at this, at this stupidity, and that's what it is. It's going to be a good sermon. <laughs> Indeed, now follow the theology with, along with this prayer. Indeed, remember they're praying. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, that's Jews and Gentiles both, in this very city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did, you listening? They did what their power, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. We don't believe in fate. We don't believe in destiny. We don't believe in coincidence. We believe in sovereignty. That's what we believe in. They go on. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Remember, they're in a raging sea of antagonism, just like us. We got threats all around us now against Christianity, right? People asking for money in every mailing. We've got to stop this. Listen to what they say. Consider their threats and protect us. Oh, wait. That's not what it says. Sorry. That was a different translation. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Did you hear that? Two big ideas popped out. God is sovereign, and we are not. He is God, we are not. Therefore, based on your sovereignty, Lord, what you have decided, give us the chance to speak and give us the courage to speak boldly. You see, this passport here, uh, don't get me wrong, this is probably the most valuable passport in the world. Okay, I can get me into almost every country. It unlocks doors everywhere I go. But you know what? When I get to eternity and I have my passport, my citizenship of heaven passport, you know, in this one, I got all kinds of countries in here because I travel a lot, you know that. By the way, thank you for sending me. But you know what? I'm not going to have countries in my passport in heaven. You know what I'm going to have? How many people did I love? That's what's going to be in there. Because a country stamp just is a chance to go tell somebody about Jesus. That's all it is. And by the way, they don't have the same privilege I have. They can't turn right around and come over here. They can't do that. There's too many rules and restrictions to get in here. But I can get there. When you get to eternity and you look in your passport, that's what it's going to ask the question is, what did you accomplish for Christ? It's not going to ask how many countries you went to. It's not going to ask that at all. This is our true citizenship. I'm not a citizen of the United States of America. I'm a citizen of heaven that happens to have the ability to use that for the glory of the Lord. That's what that's all about. Now, 
we thought the staff that it would be wise following this model we have this big election coming up and in about three weeks three and a half weeks some of you are going to be very excited and some of you aren't and that really saddens me because that tells me your focus is in the wrong place you should all be excited because God's going to decide now don't hear me wrong get out and vote your conscience I'm doing I voted my conscience okay we got our mail-in ballot all right, or whatever that ballot's called. I've lost track of the arguments anymore. If it's mail-in, drop-off, I don't even know. All I know is I have a ballot. Vote your conscience. But then when you wake up the next morning, what you need to do is say, thank you, God, for deciding. And we will learn to live with whatever happens. And we're going to stay unified as a church. So as Paul pleads with them through Philippians, I'm pleading with you set those differences aside. I've been asked this week uh, a couple different times, okay, what are we unified? What does that mean we're unified? What it means is we have a common purpose and we stick to it. And you're going to hear today in Philippians, our common purpose is to tell people about Jesus. That's our common purpose. That's what we stay unified about. That's why I've said, whatever your theological convictions is about all these different issues in our culture, I'm not asking you to give up on your theological convictions or compromise it. What I'm asking you to do is to sacrifice for the sake of unity and relationship and the common goal of seeing people come to know Christ. If we can't keep it together here, the world has no chance because we are the only institution on the earth, the only one that reflects the kingdom of God. And if we can't figure it out, there is no hope there. None. I'm really glad God is sovereign and I'm not. And by the way, you should be glad that I'm not God. Okay? Some of you might have a tough journey. (laughs) Aren't we glad that God is God and we are not? Okay. So, in Philippians, we've been looking at the beauty of Jesus. We don't usually use that language with Jesus, do we? But it's a very good language because when you look at Um, somebody brought up this morning the famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. What a terrible title. It's got to be one of the worst sermons in the history of the world. There ought to be evil people in the hands of an angry God. It should be sinners in the hands of a gracious God because that's you, because you're not evil people. And so when we look in, we see this beauty shining forth of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Love, joy, peace, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit. That's who Jesus is. That's who, that's who we experience as Christians. You think, really? I just had coffee this week with a lady, uh, a woman who, um, she heard me on the podcast four or five months ago, and their daughter, seven-year-old daughter, had just been diagnosed with um, inoperable terminal brain cancer. And um, so we were, she, she wanted my advice and help, and so we've been interacting. So she came out here. She's from another state, and we had coffee on Thursday. We had a lovely time. We had two hours together just to process. And she and her husband were holding their daughter when she went to be with Jesus, okay? So I said, can you imagine what it would be like to be held by the two people that love you the most. And you blink, and now you're being held by Jesus. Can you imagine that? 
There's no greater vision, picture that captures grace. And they were both holding her, praying for her when she died. She blinks and she opens her eyes and sees being held by Jesus. So we had a lot of conversation about what's behind all this. And I asked her, why, did you, uh, why didn't you go to your pastor at your church? Why did you want to talk to me? And she said, and this is not a criticism, she said, our pastor is young and our church is young, and they've never been through this kind of stuff. And all they've done is given us platitudes. They mean well, but they're platitudes. Jesus loves your daughter. You'll see her again. This is for your good. And she's going running down all these platitudes, and she said, don't they think I know that? I just want somebody to love me. And she said, and I heard you on the podcast talk about losing your wife. And I knew, that I said, here's a pastor that has been through it. Because I'm an old guy now. Been through a lot. Sorry, that's who you're stuck with. Until the elders and the congregation changes their mind. But she said, in my church, I don't have that. Oh, they're good people. They just haven't been through anything like that. And it was worth coming out here. To sit together. Cry together. Pray together. I just fell in love with them. Their family. There's more kids. That was the oldest one. Sorry. I'm an asthmatic. That's what you get. So um, uh, this is what beauty looks like in a world of which we are surrounded by an old creation. We're going to keep going back to 2 Corinthians 5. It's one of the key passages in the Bible if anyone is in Christ, anyone, the, uh, they are part of the new creation. The old is what? Say it. Gone. We're going to see it again today in this passage. It's gone. It's no longer who we are. Our certainty is the new creation. The new is here. That's us. The problem is we live in an old creation. And quite honestly, we're most comfortable with this in nature because we've never not had it. I wonder what it's like to wake up one day and go... No lust. No frustration. Wow. This is incredible. I wonder what that's going to be like. We don't know that world yet. And so for us, the movement from the old to the new is complicated. It's what we call uh, transformation. It's a reversal. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's a reversal, and we have to learn how to think with a new mind. And today, we're talking about our citizenship. And you are not citizens of America today. In this building, you are citizens of heaven. Now, when you go out, take advantage of the citizenship because it's worth a ton. Okay? I use it all the time. It's worth a lot. But ultimately, it's not reality. Ultimate reality is how many people did you have a chance to love? Be kind to. You know, when I think of the judgment seat of Christ, I don't think of fear. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Love First John 4. That's not our world. As Christians, we don't, we don't have punishment anymore. We don't believe in retributive justice. I sin and he punishes. It doesn't work that way. I've asked so many times in the classroom, how many of you sinned this week? Did you lust after a woman? Did you get angry? Every hand goes up. How many of you were punished? That's not the way God works. He used your stupidity, which we call sin, to shape you into his image is what happens. So here's how I picture the judgment seat of Christ. And this goes against everything I was taught growing up, but I've changed my mind. 
comes time, Jesus said, okay, Jim, get up here. It's your turn. So I get to sit up out there at the judgment seat, and I say, okay, what? He goes, I'm going to show you a recording, a video, and you tell me, first of all, it's only 30 seconds. Where are you? I'm in the Delhi airport. Right. You were standing in line to get a bottle of water, and you heard the guy behind you. You don't even know his name. You heard the guy behind you, and he's nervous because his flight's about to leave, and he's desperate to get a bottle of water. So you step aside and say, here, you go ahead and go first. You showed kindness. What you don't know is that you soften his heart with a simple act of kindness. You soften his heart. And then he goes and gets on an airplane, and I sit him next to a Christian who led him to Christ. So Daniel's not in a muthu. Come on up here. I want you to meet him. And then the second video he's going to show me is, okay, I want you to see this video. You're right. That's when you were stupid. And I had to step down and show you grace and help you. That's where we get to see the reality that we live in today, but we can't see it very clearly. That's the reality we live in right now. You have nothing to be afraid of. You have a God who loves you deeply. But he does want some things from you. He wants you to turn to him in faith and not to the world for hope or frustration for any of that. So after the second service, I would love to invite all of you to join us across the hall and let's do what these early believers did and let's pray about this upcoming election. I'm not praying for the right party. I'm going to let God figure that one out. What I am praying for is that, number one, he would give us boldness because of what happens, okay? It's going to create all kinds of fear and terror in people's lives. What a great opportunity to step in and show love and kindness and confidence in the Lord and boldness to tell them about the truth about our Savior, number one. And number two, it's okay. God's got it. Psalm 2. So when we go through Philippians 3, we're going to talk about righteousness today and the beauty of righteousness. How is righteousness even beautiful? My guess is a bunch of you don't even know how to define it. It's a Christian term that we just throw out, don't we? Okay, righteousness is very simple. When you look at the word righteousness, justification, justice, all these technical terms, when you look in Greek, they all have the same root. And here's what it basically means. God has given you a gift He put everything right in your life. Everything right. She asked me this for coffee. Why would God do this? And I said, well, I can give you a theological answer. I see three reasons why suffering and affliction occur. Number one, evil people come after us. God lets that happen. Number two, our own stupidity. We call that consequences. You want to get drunk and drive? You might have an accident and be in a lot of trouble. Okay, but the third one is, like Job, he decides that's what's in our best interest. However it comes into our life, when I look in Scripture, I say two predominant reasons. One is it's a chance to build our faith. It's a choice. Or to turn and shake our fist at God. Who are you? No such thing as fate or coincidence. That's what Job teaches us. 
But the other reason is because, and I've shared this many times, I don't have control over what's happening in this congregation. What I do have control over is who I love. And I watched the Holy Spirit over the years move. One day somebody has cancer, and in the same church, I have another person that just had a healthy granddaughter. I have a person that just got fired, and another one I just had got this big raise. I don't control that. But I watched the Holy Spirit move by His grace, and this is intentional. We don't all suffer at the same time. And we're not all blessed at the same time. That's what brings unity. To, we brings us together. And that's the argument of Philippians. It brings us together around a common spirit and a common cause to see Jesus proclaimed, to see people come to know him. So here's how he starts chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Okay, rejoicing is a safeguard because when you start complaining, which is why he just, when he finished Jesus' first command is, stop complaining. Okay, that's a statement that you don't really trust God's sovereignty. It's a safeguard for you to instead turn around and say, okay, God, I'm willing to trust you. I don't like what you're doing. Nothing wrong with that. Plenty of people in scripture have argued all the way back to Moses and Abraham. Okay, God, I don't like what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. Okay, so when you learn to rejoice because the Lord is sovereign, like these acts, uh, early Christians in Acts did, it's a safeguard for you because it protects the heart. Because the moment you start complaining, your heart starts to get hard. That's what happens. And so the moment you start rejoicing in the Lord, your heart begins to soften. You experience joy. So the first thing he says is rejoice in the Lord. And when you get to chapter 4 next week, you're going to see it all over the place. But then he warns them in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. In other words, those who practice circumcision. In this context, those are the Jewish people, the Jewish people, leaders who who came to them and held strongly to the law. You have to practice the Mosaic law. We call them Judaizers. So what this, what you could, another way you could say this is be very wary of those who demand obedience to the law and therefore rob you of joy. You see, this book is not a rule book. Contrary to the where I was raised, this is not a rule book. It's a book, a collection of stories with a grand story connecting them all, telling us about God's incredible love for us. That's what it is. And the way he shows grace. The way he shows grace. By the way, when I get to the spring, I want to do a series on the eight minor prophets who prophesied against the southern kingdom. You're going, really? Really? Yeah, it's like Leviticus. You're going to come alive. Because when you look at these eight minor prophets, they each used a different approach to try to get Israel to turn back. And you know what it shows us? God is very patient because that lasted several hundred years. And he tried all these approaches to get their attention, just like he does in your life. And when you put them all together, you see this panorama of God's incredible love and patience. So be wary of people who put laws in front of you. You never see me do that, do you? You have the freedom to sin. I'm going to laugh at you. Just like Jesus said, no judgment, no condemnation. He didn't say anything about laughter, except in Psalm 2 where he laughs at your stupidity. So you come to me, you're struggling with sin, you might get a little chuckle. 
You come and tell me you're sleeping with another woman, I'm going to go, oh, oh boy, you got yourself in a mess, don't you? No judgment, no condemnation. No. And that's what he's warning against here. Be wary of people who put laws and clamps, clamps down and control because you have freedom, Galatians 5. But he goes on from there in verse 3. And he says, For it is we who are the circumcision, the true believers, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. So we learn right away, the true circumcision, we learn this is that journey that we're on to quit putting accomplishments in front of us, that that's what we hold on to. You know, it's intriguing to me when I meet a middle schooler, I never hear him complain or talk about uh, what it was like in, in uh, elementary school. When I meet a high schooler, I never see them reflecting back on middle school. When I talk to 80-year-olds, I never see them talking about their career. It's 20 years in the past. They're not thinking about it anymore. You see, as you age, you let go of the past. And you keep aging. You keep aging. So why in the world would you worry about things today that a year from today, you're not gonna, it's not going to be a bother? Or 20 years from today, you're probably not even going to remember to care about it. Why? What is, the, what is the way by which you count value? Money? Prestige? Success? Positions? Power? dominance, control. How do you define success? I guarantee you, in 45 years of serving Christ, I have never met a person on their deathbed that cared about that. Not one. I'm going to die tomorrow, but I'm the richest guy. I'm going to die tomorrow, but I was a CEO of a major corporation. No, they don't think that way. You know what they're thinking about at the end? What happens now? My dad, when I was 30, he uh, had a stomachache, went to the doctor, did a series of tests. Come to find out he had advanced esophageal cancer, and they gave him 30 days to live. So he said, go home. The doctor said, go home. It's our family doctor. Carl, go home. Sorry. Put your things in order. Say goodbye. So my dad walked into his office. I don't know how many years, 25, 30 years walked into his office, looked around at all of the, you know, the wall of, you know, how good I am. And uh, just looked around, picked up the family picture, walked out and left it all. It didn't matter anymore. You see, when you get to the end of life, it's not going to matter. All those accomplishments. Some of you know Merle Wilhite. He was here for 30-some years. At the end of his life, uh, I went down to intensive care, had COPD. He was only given a couple weeks left to live. And sat with him. I said, Merle, what's it like to be handed a death notice? And he goes, I made it. I go, what do you mean you made it? He goes, I was faithful to my Lord. I was faithful to my wife and family. And through all of my career changes, I was faithful to my calling. And now I've ran the race and I'm done. Can you say that? So then I asked him, so what does the Lord have for you now? And he goes, what do you mean? I only got two weeks left. I go, well, you're not dead yet. And he laughed and he goes, you're right, I'm not. He's got something for me in the time I have left. I said, you think about it. I'll be next, back next week because I'm going to hear the answer and he died before I got back. 
You see, when you get to the end of life, none of this is going to matter. It's not going to matter. You're not even going to care who the president was, who was in Congress, what policies they passed. You're not going to care about that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do what you got to do. You got to protect your kids. You got to think that way. You got to protect what's important to you. Hold your theological convictions, but don't worry about them. We are citizens of what? Heaven. So he goes on, he says, you know, of all the people alive, I have the reasons for this kind of confidence. He talks about being circumcised on the eighth day, the tribe of Benjamin, the people of Israel, Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was in training for the uh, Sanhedrin. I mean, he had the top of the, he was the top of the pile in Israel. And what does he say? Verse seven, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's a curse word, by the way. We just sanitize it in English. You can imagine it. I consider everything in life garbage garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, avoid rule makers. Avoid rule makers. Enjoy grace keepers. But that which is through faith in Christ. You see, faithfulness is more important than being biblical. We can't always be biblical. The Bible has too many mutually exclusive ideas, but you can always be faithful. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, righteousness is a beautiful thing. It's a gift that the Lord hands to you that makes it all right, puts everything to right, and that's a gift you get to hand to others. Confidence, love, trust, patience, Think about, think about in a relationship with your enemy. Think how these fruit of the Spirit play out with your enemy. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, thankfulness, self-control. Now think about that with your enemies. Is there any greater gift you can give your enemy? If God wants your enemy to come to him, the greatest gift he can give him is to route him back into your life because they expect to get stabbed in the back and you display the fruit of the Spirit, it's not going to happen and they're going to be stunned. They expect revenge. That's what they expect. This gift of righteousness is a true gift. He says instead in verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, he's not talking about laughing at pain and all that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the value that comes from this. Okay, the richness of God drawing you closer to him. You get a choice every day of your life. It's your choice. This or, okay, God, I don't like what's happening, but I'm going to trust your sovereignty. You're doing something that's good for me. Don't ever develop the attitude of, whoo, life is going good. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. No, 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 no. Think of it this way. Life is going good. God, thank you for the days of peace right now. 
when you think my faith is ready to grow, I'm ready. Bring it. Whatever God wants to. So, all accomplishments are nothing but garbage compared to the incomparable riches of obtaining Christ and that precious gift of righteousness. But even Paul had to strive for this. Look in verse 13. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. In other words, I'm not quite there yet. Okay? But one thing I do, forgetting what is, what? What's the word? Behind. If anyone is in Christ, the old is what? Gone. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And why is this important? Verse 20. Thanks, Rob, for reading it. Because our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to lie to you. The older I get, the more I look forward to it, and the more tired I get with the morass of evil, confusion, distraction, hostility that permeates every aspect of our society. It's there, the tension, the fighting. I know what's best. No, I know what's best. Truth is, none of you know what's best. Only God knows what's best. That's the truth. One day I'm going to wake up in the arms of the Lord. I'm going to wake up and he's holding me. I'm going to go, huh, no lust. Huh. No evil. Wow. I'm going to be like a kid all over again. Oh, no anger, no frustration, no distraction, no hostility. Where did it all go? The question is, do you really believe that that's what your future holds? When Jesus said to the rich young ruler, give everything away, and he left sad, Peter said, Lord, what about us? We gave up everything to follow you. And Jesus said, with a twinkle in his eye, don't you worry. There is a reward beyond your comprehension waiting. So let me close with these questions. What, um, what, is, uh, what are all of your accomplishments worth? When you get to the end of life, what will your accomplishments be worth then? I'm not saying give up. I'm saying continue to fight with the right attitude. Continue to get things done, okay, but with the right attitude. Sometimes uh, people say to me, it's hard to tell a Christian from a non-Christian in our country. And you know what I say? Praise Jesus. You know why? No matter what you think about the founding of our nation, I can tell you this. The West evolved around the principles of Scripture, the words and values of Scripture, you want to know what it's like to live in a place where you can tell apart who the Christians are? Come with me to Cambodia and walk down to the slums. You can tell the Christians as bright as shining light, and they live in the slums. Is that what you want? So when people say, I can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, that's a criticism, I say, praise Jesus. I'm not going to lie to you. I go to these countries, I teach these young pastors about Jesus, and then I get on a plane, I can't wait to get home.
because life is so good here. Don't let, ever let anyone tell you it's not. Come with me and see what sin looks like when it ravages people. It is so destructive, evil is. So what are the accomplishments? What's keeping you in the way? I asked you that last week. What's keeping you from selling out to Jesus? What is it? Some of you come from a bad church experience. I get it. Okay? How do you tell the difference between a pastor that uses this Bible and the pastor next door that uses this Bible, but this one, not me, by the way, but this one is abusing women and children or young boys? How do you tell the difference? Whew. I keep praying that God a clean house. Judgment begins with the household of God. So what's in the way? What's in the way? So let me again remind you, after church, if you can, I would love for you to just stay, take a few minutes, and let's just lift this up to God, this election that's coming. We're going to do it for the next three Sundays, okay? We're going to pray and say, God, we trust your sovereignty. Give us the boldness to share you when all the people are confused and distraught. And then help us get our accomplishments out of the way. Father, thank you for thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the righteousness that you give us as a gift. The righteousness to make all things right with us. Thank you that we're not part of the old order, although we live in it and it's confusing to us. Help us, God, to see with your eyes. Help us to love with your heart. Help us to, uh, to be broken by the things that you hate. Help us, Lord, to be there for our people right here in Summit County when they're needed, when, when they need us and they need you. Thank you. In your son's name we pray, amen.